The Music Biz Weekly with Michael Brandvold. Music marketing tips, advice, and discussions. Do you need assistance with your next release? Are you looking for help with your digital strategy? Do you need help getting the most out of your social media? Do you have questions on how to find more fans? Contact Michael at www.michaelbrandvold.com. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I am your host, Michael Brandvold. And today I want to welcome uh, a longtime friend of mine, Jay Gilbert. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. So Jay uh, has his own company right now called Label Logic. And in the past, he's spent many years working for um, major labels, Universal Records, Sanctuary, um, in various different capacities, correct? That's right. That's right. So what I wanted to do, because we've never really had anybody from the label side of the industry on this show, and I just want to chat with you about, you know, the state of the music industry and your side of how you viewed it, especially when you were in the label. You know, what was going on in major labels as, you know, since what can we say about 99 is when it really started to turn over things started to really blow up yeah right around 1998 um, around the birth of my first daughter um, I joined an area of Universal called ECAT um, and the ECAT group was um, their their advanced technology group and they were working with um, a lot of these new technology companies, for example, one of the guys that worked on our team was Albie Galutin. And Albie, you know, produced Saturday Night Fever and Jellyfish and Streisand and Clapton and all sorts of things. But he was also on um, a team that worked on one of the first CD-ROMs that came out. And we were working on putting a wrapper around digital files to... Um, to protect them so we could sell them and they wouldn't be pirated. Because you'll remember that's right around the time of the original um, Napster. Right. And this, and, this, this is, is this pre-iTunes? Pre-iTunes. By about a year, right? Year or two? Yeah. That, I think that was... Uh, was that about 2000? Well, the actually, I, I, I'll have to check the dates on this and we should Google it really quickly, but the, the iPod came out first and then a couple of years later came iTunes. I think iTunes was actually a little bit later than that. Yeah. I can't remember. It's like dark I'm gonna age, guess, dark ages. I'm going to guess that the iPod was 2001 and iTunes was 2004. That, that's just a guess off the top of my head. And I, I think that's within a, and, a year. And, and this, this, this is back in a time when, um, um, copy protection was still a, a, a big topic. I mean, it's not it's not that big anymore. Pretty much everybody no. every, now everybody's just given up realizing you can't copy protect even a digital file. But back then, um, everybody was trying to figure out a way to put some for, form of a protection around a digital file so you you couldn't share it, you couldn't copy it, or you could only make X amount of copies. That's every, right. Every every label, every startup was coming up with their own little. Attempt. That's right. Everybody had their own DRM, right? Yep, Digital DRM. rights management. And um, we weren't any different. We were looking to protect uh, our, you know, our assets. Um, but that's when things really changed. It was right around 99 or so. CD sales were peaking 
and you know the original Napster was around and I read a lot of articles that said that the record labels you know were clueless they didn't know what to do and I, I only took issue with that because I, I thought that especially at Universal we had some really smart people but it's easy to give stuff away for free right it's it's difficult to um, to put a digital rights management system on especially when there's competing formats you know, would our DRM play on this player? Would well, that, 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 that's what I was going to ask you. Is, do you feel like looking back now, part of the problem might have been there was no, and I'm just saying this from, from, I was in the industry, but outside of the major labels, there was no standardization happening. Right. So you had Universal and maybe one or two other labels they partnered with trying to build their solution. Then you had Sony doing their solution. Then mm -hmm. you had this guy doing, and at the end of the day, these solutions might be great, but the consumer ended up getting screwed because yeah. it was like, well, I bought my track from Sony, but it doesn't play in the Universal That's player. Right. Or I bought yeah. the CD from Universal, and the Sony player won't rip it and recognize it. Right. That's exactly right. And that's really, it came down to two camps. And without getting too deep into that, I think what happened was, you know, iTunes came around uh, with one very simple um, DRM, but also with one simple deal, because the other thing we have to keep in mind is that there were different deals for different levels of artists. And by doing that, you added a level of complexity that I felt was really unnecessary. And did you have the ACDCs and Beatles and kids, Kid Rocks of the world kind of holding out for a while? Yeah, you did. But I felt like Apple had it right where it was one size fits all. Here's our DRM. It'll protect the music. Um, there are rules associated with it. And here are the terms. It's one term for all artists. And there's a really great book. I don't know if you've read it called Appetite for Self-Destruction by Steve Knopper. And I would encourage any of your listeners who haven't read that book I, you know, I've read all of the books that have come out on the music industry and digital strategy and digital marketing and all of that. And I felt like that one came the closest to really showing what it was like to be behind the doors during the real, the real story. Yeah, during yeah. some of those because those were tough decisions to be made, and there was a lot riding on it. You know, a lot of jobs, a lot of revenue were riding on these decisions. And let's face it, you know, it was new. Right now, in hindsight, we can go back and say, oh, well, we should have had one DRM or we should not have had any DRM. If you remember, it was Amazon in their digital store that really helped get rid of DRM. Yeah, they yeah. came out and put, they made a stand and, and said, you know what? And that wasn't that long ago that, that Amazon removed DRM from all of their products. Right. That's exactly right. So, you know, the, the digital rights thing, we, we got past that. And the, the problem has been, for the industry anyway, is that you took something like a CD, which was a cash cow, um, and you had to pay a certain amount of money to get that, that album. And you couldn't really dissect it and just take off the three songs that you wanted. And... So the 90s were really big for, for record companies. They were staffed up, uh, and they were sinking money into signing new artists. There were advances. There was tour support. There was a lot of things that now 
are limited because of the fact that it's simple math. You take a download, you're making less money from that. Then you take streaming, which you can make less money at, but I'm, I'm of the school that it's good for the industry in the long run. You know, um, you take a look at, and, and you and I touched on this before, you know, you, you spend $10 a month on a subscription service to Spotify, RDO, Slacker, you know, whatever your, your choice is. And, you know, all of a sudden you're paying $120 a year as opposed to maybe $20, $30, $40 a year that you might be paying now on music if you're doing that. Um, I look at my two teenage daughters, they're playing their music on YouTube. Um, and I'm, you know, and this isn't the music key that we've been reading about. This isn't anything else. This is just going on to YouTube and they can pretty much play anything they want, keep it on in the background when they're studying or whatever. Um, they didn't grow up like you and I did going through record shops and getting our hands dirty in the understock and overstock and going through bins and, you know, searching things out. Um, I think they're going to miss that that fun that we had, but you know, I don't want to sound too much like my grandfather. You know what? It, it's they, they, it, from our standpoint, we would say they they might miss it, but if they've never experienced it, how can they miss it? Yeah, yeah. They 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 don't know what they're missing, so it's kind of mute to sit here like you were saying, Grandpa talking about this great because they've never experienced that. No. Now, even when CDs were around, they would have a blank CD with a Sharpie, you know, written on it that said what it was. And their friends at school would say, oh, you like that such and such record here? I'll burn it for you, you know. But, do, do, you, uh, do you think, do you think that, that part of what, what caused the friction and, and, and the, the meltdown of everything was, was a lot of, Forgetting what the customer, the consumer wanted, forgetting about how you have to make this an easy experience for the consumer. You know, I, I, I've, you know, it goes back to what I was saying where you had all these competing technologies and companies almost feels like, and I've said this many times, feels like they were trying to create a solution to a problem that may not have existed, and therefore they wanted to invent the problem to sell the solution, when the reality is that's not what the consumer wanted. That was, you know, you and I are both big Apple fans, and there's a lot to be sure. said for Apple in, you know, giving the consumer what they need, not necessarily what they want. You know, one, yeah. you know you've got one button on here. Boy, it sure would be easy to add all sorts of other buttons. It's more difficult to make something simple. Yeah, something complex and simplify it. Yeah, exactly. Then it is to just throw every feature in there, complicate the matter, and then your consumers are just like, I can't figure this out. It's too hard for me. Guess what? Yeah. I'm just going to go steal the music because that's still easier. Yeah, you make a really good point. And, and, and I can tell you that um, I worked with Def Leppard um, when I was with Universal, and this this illustrates your point. They're one of the last major holdouts when it comes to. Well, they were on and then they were off, and what happened was they're they're UK based repertoire, and and it means it's controlled by the company in in that uh, territory. So I took them to uh, Washington D.C. 
to do an iTunes original session, which these are typically live sessions with very minimal overdubs or corrections, right? Um, this quickly became something other than that. It became a studio recording. Um, and what happened during that iTunes session was we had a lot of great conversations about should this be up online and who has rights to put this up. At that point, their music was on iTunes and um, other uh, digital service providers. Well, what they did was they pulled it off. Um, and they did have one or two records on, which I think were newer records. But their catalog, that great catalog, right. was pulled, pulled down. And you can probably imagine what happened. So I went to a service that measures peer-to-peer, BitTorrents, that sort of thing. And we watched the piracy explode. Because to your point, and, and this was Apple's argument early on, if you don't give them an option, a legal, easy, simple option, then you know, they will go steal it. Um, and I've, I'm a firm believer that people are inherently afraid of things they don't understand. And I think in the early days of digital downloading, it, a lot of folks were afraid of it. They didn't understand it. And it, it took them a little bit of time. I think Apple certainly helped by what you mentioned of you know, simplifying something that was very complex. They made it so... It wasn't a mystery anymore. You click a button, it, it synced up to your iPod, you were good to go. Yep. You, know, you didn't have to know about digital rights management or codecs or anything else. You could just do it. Um, now, you know, we're, we're, we're past that, but we're running into you know, subscription, streaming, internet radio, those sorts of things. And we're kind of back in that same world in the sense that there's, you know, RDO, Mog, Deezer, Pandora, Beats, I mean, Amazon, Apple, there, there's so many different choices, you know, and they all have different rules and different pricing, you know, some of them are free and you listen to ads, some of them you can't get it free and you, some of them like uh, Tidal is what they call lossless. Well, a lot of people don't know what, what, what does lossless mean. I think what's happened here, again, is that we've complicated a very simple thing. And I do think that you know, it'll find its own level, just like downloading did. You know, I, I really do. I, I agree. Do you, so do you think that um, there's going to be a shakeout in the, in the online streaming services world in that we don't need six 12 different players that we only need one maybe two and that it's gonna it's gonna consolidate down to one or two people over time yeah Yeah, i do i i think that if you look at history that's what's always happened if you looked at retail well first go back before that look at some of the major distributors you know the the wea sony bmg those there was always, for years and years, it was WIA was the biggest. You know, when I was growing up, it was yep. WIA. They had Electra, Atlantic. I mean, they were huge. Then it, the tide shifted and became Universal in the days that I was at Universal. They became the big dog. Then you look at retail. Walmart, for years, you know, was Walmart, Tower on the chain side. You know, those were kind of the two big dogs. There were, there were some other really great players in there, but. Walmart could bring in, you know, 100,000 units of your record. It was just ridiculous power. Then you get to downloading, okay, it's been iTunes. You know, they've been the big guy, and there's been people who have, 
you know, said, oh, this is the iPod killer, this is the iTunes killer, but no one's really challenged them in a meaningful way, in my opinion. Now you get to streaming, and it's Spotify. They're so far ahead of everybody. You know, they've got like 60 million um, subscribers, and I believe the number I just heard yesterday was like 19 million are paid, which is, I think that's pretty great. But it's, it's them and then everybody else. Now, people are making inroads. Um, look, Apple Music or whatever they're going to call it is going to launch in a month or two. I'm excited to see what that's all about. You know, I, I think these other services, you know, never count Google out. You know, I believe that just as you said, that it's going to shake out to two or three key players. But I think these other players can survive by finding, you know, maybe there's one that specializes in metal hard rock. You know, maybe there's one that specializes in something where, you know, like you and I kind of come from that rock world. And I've always said to people, it's not the information age, it's the recommendation age. Is there a band out there that, you know, I haven't heard? I'm certain there is that I would absolutely love because every year I discover, and it's not all new music, sometimes it might be some some band in the 80s that I just happened to miss yep. for whatever yep. reason. I Look, there's some of these services have 30 million tracks on there. Oh, my gosh. I mean, how? how? Yeah, exactly. How do you, and we, we talked about this in, in the past, you know, yeah. in, in, you know, the, the glory days, we would walk down to Tower Records on a Tuesday and we would spend three hours going through <laughs> the bins, flipping through everything, just looking. What yeah. is that? I didn't see that. Um, you can't do that in Not today's easily. world because mm-hmm. these services are really designed. You need to know what you're looking for. Yeah. And then you can easily find it. But if I'm just going in here going, you know, I'm just looking for some great 70s AOR rock. How do you go find that on Spotify? You know, they do have playlists, and I do. I don't want to discount those. I was listening to Slacker the other day, and Chris Daughtry had his 50 greatest songs of the century. Now, were they the 50 best songs of the century in hard rock? No, but they were, it was his opinion. But I loved listening to that show because there were like two bands on there. I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I, I remember these guys. I don't have anything from them. And look, I'm, I'm older. I like to own I do subscribe to subscription services, but I still like to own it, you know, make my own playlist for, for driving or whatever. Um, so I do think there's, they're getting smarter about that discovery. Are they there yet? No. Um, I think Apple's, you know, iTunes recommendation engine is pretty good, but, you know, it's not perfect. Amazon, you know, it can base on what other people that bought, you know, Accept or Metallica or Kiss or whatever, what other people bought, they can say, oh, well, they also bought this. Is that helpful? Yeah. But there's nothing like what you and I grew up with yet, which is, you know, I worked in a record store for almost eight years, four for an indie, four for Tower. I was the guy, you know, somebody would come in and say, you know, what's good this week? And I could, I was the recommendation engine. I would yep. give them those three, four albums. Well, then later on, I would go into record stores, you know, when I was working for Universal. Hey, what's, what's good? Or I would listen to in-store play, you know, things like that. I just think it's a little bit different now. I do think that the streaming services, RDO especially, um, Slacker, um, 
Amazon is making a play for curation. Um, they're getting better at playlists and actually curating things. Um, but, but they have a long way to go because, you know, I love cheap trick. I love power pop. I, I have yet to find a good power pop, you know, playlist on any of the streaming services. Yeah, no, I agree. But, you know, a buddy of mine um, sent me his in Spotify. So I just, that's a great thing about Spotify is I can now send you that playlist and you can play it. But you know, and that, and, and, and you're right that following playlists, and I do a lot of this myself, I've got a ton of playlists in Spotify that I'm following, is a great way to discover music. But that's not so much Spotify recommending music. That is still your friend recommending it to you. It's, it's both. It's, it, it's it, both. It's your they friend. You, yeah, it's it, but it's it's Spotify giving your friend the tools to create something. But again, if I just went into, you know, I, maybe I, I hang out with a crowd of people who are not big into Cheap Trick. So I don't have friends who could recommend that. So now you've got to know where to start digging. And that's where they haven't really mastered it yet. And, 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 and I got to say, one of my, when, when, when Apple first purchased Beats and, and I joined it, I joined them all just from a business sure. standpoint to try them me out. Too. One of the things that immediately turned me off was they said, okay, great. We've got these people that are curating playlists for you. I'm like, that's cool. The first one was Target. And I was just like, why in the hell would I put any trust in Target to curate a playlist for me? Of course, they're only going to push what benefits Target. That, to me, turned me off from looking at anybody else because immediately I was like, wow, so basically all these other curated playlists could be bought, paid yeah. for. You yeah. lose that trust. What yeah. I like about... What I like about Spotify, and I'm not saying Spotify doesn't allow people to create their own playlists, but it does feel like it's much more user-based. You know, there's just tons of user playlists. Yeah. You know, and the, Same and, with and, Slacker and RDO. They have some really great yeah. user-based user ones that are good, too. And, 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 I, and I think, you know, the challenge is they've got to figure out how to give the users all of this power to recommend but bring it front and center and make it easy to find and I search agree. to it you know yeah. because you know the thing one of the things that's sort of nice like in spotify is you can go click the related artist tab but a lot of and, and that can work a little bit but boy that's still even in spotify's case is a freaking mess yeah, but I'd like to step back just a little bit because I think what you're talking about is really what took the soul out of record retailing. You know, when you and I grew up, there was Warehouse, Camelot, Sam Goody, Musicland, Tower, whatever. Where there was all these great retailers, right? Well, I don't know if you remember, but I believe it was like the mid '90s. Um, I believe that these a lot of these record stores lost their soul, and and what I mean by that is there was this thing that came about called pricing and positioning. So instead of the way it worked before that was you would do advertising with Tower or someone and then they would sale price your particular uh, title. Well, 
because of the money that was involved in that advertising, they started doing these pricing and positioning campaigns like basically the end caps, those bins at the end of each row, were bought and paid for on a national level with Tower and with Warehouse and some of these larger chains. And what happened was I used to work at Tower. We would curate. We were the recommendation engine. If we thought there was something cool, we could put together an end cap. I remember one time we fell in love with this band called uh, Lions and Ghosts. And uh, so we decided, you know, the radio station in town was starting to play it. So we put together an end cap and a display and stuff. Well, what happened in the mid-90s was that was all bought and sold real estate on a national level. And you had had, no say in it. Right. And the only thing that I thought was good that came out of that was the listening stations. Remember that Virgin really pioneered it. Tower pioneered it. And a lot of the cool indies pioneered it where that, at least there was some curation there. They could put, there was always some editorial play, play stations there where they could put something in there and then you could go in and listen to it. Now, of course, these days we can preview anything we want. But like we were talking about before, when there's 30 million, 20 million, however many tracks, someone is going to come up with that silver bullet, that recommendation engine that has people. I I think Pandora is getting close. Um, I've been watching them and listening to them. They're getting really close because they were built on that music genome, whatever it was called, system. And so it's really built that, you know, guys like you and me would say, oh, you like this band? You'll probably like this band. It's not based on somebody who bought this because I might buy Barbra Streisand for my sister, you know, and then it says, oh, people who like Cheap Trick also like Barbra Streisand. You know what I mean? Do you think it really ultimately is just going to come down to these services need to step back and not try to sell everything that they could potentially sell within their app? Meaning, I'll sell you that placement as the top playlist. I'll sell you the top location on related artists. You know, to to actually let that stuff go back to becoming organic. Yeah, I think a lot of it still is organic, Mike. I mean, like you can't buy placement on Apple, iTunes. It's editorially based. Then you go to some place like Amazon, and it's the opposite. It's very little editorial, and it's you know ninety percent paid placement. I'm I'm of the opinion that you you'll succeed by getting to those customers, giving them what they want, not trying to sell them what you're trying to sell, but Exactly. Well, like you were talking about before, one of the the problems with the early or mid 90s is that we were trying to create something that wasn't a demand of our customer. And I think now we know our customers need help with discovery, curation. And, and I'm not talking about having a, you know, a workout mix or uh, a coffee shop mix. I'm talking about somebody that comes in and says, hey, look, I like this kind of music. Can you turn me on to other bands that I would like? And I think we're getting closer with you know the Slackers, RDOs, Pandoras, but I don't think anybody's nailed it yet. No, I, I agree. I, I I totally feel like that's what's missing. You you need to have some music smarts on your own right now to know how to use these apps 
and to know where to look and to keep digging and digging and digging. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm more than the average music consumer. You are as well. So we will put the effort into it, but will the average consumer do that? No, the average music consumer is still getting their music from radio. People think that, you know, everything's digital now, but you know, we're New York, LA, you know, there's still all that flyover country, as we jokingly refer to it. People still have the blinking light on their VCR. Yep. You know, not everybody has an iPhone like you and I do, um, surprisingly. Um, and I think that because of that, people are discovering their music, for the most part, still through very limited playlists on terrestrial radio. Yeah. You know, so. Which, which you and I both know, that's so tightly controlled now that you know at least you know back in the 80s sure each market might have been at least locally and regionally programmed but today you got one corporate office somewhere in dallas or wherever that's telling every radio station they own here's what you're playing yeah and you can drive into sausalito you can drive into milwaukee and hear the same playlist wherever you go and, and I think that's harmed music. I think this homogenization, whether it's retail, whether it's radio, even on the touring side to some degree, I, I believe it's, it's harmed that. And I think that it, it's an exciting time right now with all of these streaming services and downloading because it's there. You can discover. And I believe that people are consuming, I hate to use that word, but they're listening to more music now than ever. Um, but you know, I I just think that there's so much potential there with all of this technology that we haven't tapped into yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I know as, as, as a pure fan and listener of music, I was slow to adopt streaming because I was big on wanting to own, you know, I had thousands of CDs. I wanted to own music, but I finally bit the bullet and was like, all right, I've got to try this. And, and it, I quickly realized that for me, the instant access was greater than the need to own, you know, the ability to sit here and go, I want to listen to this artist right now. Boom. I can get it and play it as opposed to, okay, I got to own it. Well, that means I got to go buy it, download it. You know, not, not that that's an ordeal, but that's not instant. Yeah. Um, and, and, I found that I've probably started to spend more money on music because of streaming. Not necessarily buying the music, but buying other things. Yeah. Concert tickets, merchandise, Merch. DVDs, whatever it might be that that I think a lot of people who who cry foul that streaming services aren't selling music are ignoring that whole other aspect that they're selling other things. Yeah, and I don't buy that argument that, you know, streaming services are ripping you off or ripping off the artist. I've never bought that argument. You know, I'm a former artist. I, I look at streaming more as like radio. I mean, how much money are you making when, you know, you know, some radio station plays your music? You know, I think you're comparing apples to oranges. Um, I believe that just like you, I've discovered so much great music through streaming services. And then I've told friends about that. I've gone to see them live. I bought their t-shirt, you know, whatever. 
Um, I think that's healthy for all of us, but I don't think it's a fair comparison to say, oh, well, I make this much revenue from a download, this much from a CD, and then I only make this minuscule amount per stream. I, I don't think it's the same thing. No, I, I agree. And, and in, in my perspective, at the end of the day, it still comes down to the streaming services pay the music rights holder which quite often isn't the artist. So they're never going to pay the artist directly anyway. No different than Tower Records in the 80s never wrote a check and sent it to the artist. Nope. Um, and, and in the 80s, nobody was crying foul that Tower Records was making more off that CD sale than Poison did because I bet you per sale, Tower Records made more than Poison off of each unit sold. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I think people are forgetting the fact that this is still a issue of go look at the contracts that the artists have with whoever their rights holder is, the major label, the indie label, whoever it is. Mm -hmm. And I know you probably saw the article that hit yesterday about um, Sony's yep. contract with Spotify. Yeah, you posted that. Yeah, yeah, you know, which kind of just validates the fact that these labels are getting a pile of money out of streaming. But the question that still is not being revealed is how much of that money is trickling down into the artist. Right. And the other thing in that equation, you're absolutely right, is Spotify, RDO, Deezer, who, any of these other folks, they have to pay a ton of money to get the rights. To license those to, catalogs. A ton. A ton. And they, 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 they sign away a piece of their revenue. And then there's the infrastructure. Just because it's digital – and you and I could easily send free files back and forth. Commerce, I keep saying, is it's much more complicated and much more expensive than that. You for that initial infrastructure and then getting those deals in place. And then you have this open field where there's a dozen people to compete with, you know? So it's I I don't think it that the streaming services are the bad guys. I I think that they're they're a business. And I think they're doing a pretty good job uh, so far. Um, and I, I think that artists will make more money eventually. Um, but right now, physical sales are dropping. Um, not as fast as people think they are, but th they are dropping. What's really dropping right now are the digital download sales. Much more quickly right now than physical sales. Because those are the customers, of course, that are moving to streaming. So it's going to be a rough, bumpy let, road let, here let, for a let, while. Let me, let me ask you a, a, sure. a final question here, because this was a thought that I always had. I mean, so Apple's always looked at, as not the 800-pound grill, but the 1,600-pound grill. I mean, the, you know, when these guys show up, people pay attention, things happen. I mean, they've got, what, 800 million credit cards on file. That that, that that's that's what's important to keep in mind here is they already and, they already yeah. have customers who have credit cards on file and will purchase online and trust them and trust and they, them and they're cash rich they've so, got war so, chests so you know we've we've spent years buying digital files from Apple on iTunes Apple purchases Beats it's not directly integrated into iTunes yet but the rumors are this summer. It's going to become much deeper integration. The Beats name's going away. It's going to be branded Apple. Um, if Apple comes out with iTunes Music Streaming, do you think that is going to 
quickly kill off digital sales faster than we ever imagined? Because now all of a sudden you're an iTunes customer who used to buy and in the same environment now you can just stream it. You're no longer spending 10 bucks. Yeah. No, you, you make a valid point. I do think that I don't think it's going to happen quickly. I don't think anything in this industry happens super quickly, but I do think that you're absolutely right. They have all those names, they have all those customers, they have a trust built. And I think that if they launch something that people who wouldn't have ever tried streaming are going to try it and see how convenient that it is. And Apple knows everything that you've purchased from iTunes. Um, maybe you have iTunes Match. Maybe they sync something up with iTunes Tunes Match that you've got all of that stuff through Apple Music streaming. Um, there, I see that as, you know, you never want to count them out. Spotify has a huge lead right now, huge lead. But I think if anyone can compete, it's for the reasons you just said, it's Apple. And I also wouldn't count out uh, Google. Um, I, I also think- wouldn't count out Amazon when it comes to, you know, yes, they've got Amazon Music and they've got Amazon Prime. But, you know, here's 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 a company that's, you know, as we talked earlier, led the way in removing DRM. Um, you know, their their music cloud, which I personally recommend over Apple's because it's cheaper and you can hold a lot more music in it. Um, these guys have a huge customer base. They do. Um, I worked the last four and a half years before I struck out on my own um, with Warner Music Group, and I handled Amazon globally. And we should probably save that for uh, another show because I do have some uh, opinions on um, Amazon and uh, where they're going with let, music. Let, 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 let's do that. Let's save that for another show. I, I just I just wanted to say, I think I, I, I think Amazon. A lot of people count out because Amazon still right now in a brand environment is seen as an online shopping mall. Yeah. And and when you dig deeper under the hood. My God, they've got a lot of pieces out there that other people are doing that just need the right person to pull it together, yeah. put a UI around it, package it up, and sell it. And and one thing to keep in mind is Amazon is known for selling things at loss leader prices mm-hmm. to get you on as a customer. Yeah. So you buy right. your toilet paper from them. Yeah, I mean, the, the Prime Music isn't to necessarily promote subscription it's to promote their subscription of their prime service and we we can definitely get into that i mean i'd also like to talk maybe a little bit about aws you know a lot of services that people use every day are on amazon web services and their amazon is a much larger complicated company than most people uh, even imagine and they have i I totally agree i mean it, it, it is not where you go to buy a book well, yes, technically you go there to buy your books and all this other stuff, but you have no idea the machine that's behind this right now. Yeah, it's yeah. quite impressive, which is why I just say, don't don't count them out. I, I, you know, Apple, Google, and Amazon are the three people that can walk into pretty much any space and throw money around to try and figure it out without worrying about going out of business. Yeah, they're they're. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't count any of them out. But I would love to to talk again um, 
I, I love this stuff. And the great thing about it is, and I know you understand this, is anybody who says they're an expert in this space is, is probably full of it because it changes week Change to week. Week to week. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And that's agree. why you have to have these regular conversations because the, we're, you and I are fortunate that you know we went from an era of cassettes, 8-tracks, vinyl, CD. I mean, we're watching all of this happen in our lifetime. And it's it's intriguing and it's exciting to kind of see this happen in into streaming and whatever's coming after that. Well, here, here. I mean, literally, I don't know if you saw it, but the headline this morning: Spotify's Spotify had their press conference today. Right. They're getting into videos. Yep. They're getting into podcasts News. and talk yep, the, shows. Yep. Um, and they're getting into activity-based playlists. Something like the sensors on your iPhone are going to know how fast you're running, and it'll create a playlist based on that activity. Yeah, it's all centered around mobile. They're, yeah, these guys are smart. Um, this is going to be exciting to see. Yeah, how this yeah but to the point of this is changing weekly, and you have to pay attention. You have to try this stuff out, and you have to, you have to play with the services to see what's good, what's bad, what doesn't yeah. work. And, you know, I, I think that my, my takeaway to any artist is, you can't count out streaming. You can't let you can't let the emotion that happens in press about Taylor Swift being oh pissed at Spotify to make that the reason you don't do something. Agreed. Because believe me when I say there was other reasons behind that decision, mm -hmm. not just because they didn't like Spotify. Yeah. And, and and you just need to look, you know, as a fan, I will say this. I want to find your music as quickly as possible wherever I am in whatever location. And there's there's nothing that will drive a fan quicker to steal your music than having a credit card ready to give you $10 and nowhere to buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, yeah. It come, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, listen, I Jay, would love to awesome. continue our conversation anytime. Anytime you want to have me on, give me a call. By all means. And, and we'll, uh, we'll keep it rolling. But it's I'll, always and, a pleasure and, and, talking to you. And let me give you a moment here. What you, sure. Your Label Logic plug, where, where can people find you online? Thank you. It, it's it's labellogic.net, label-logic.net. And we do label services. We work with artists, managers, and now a couple of labels to really help them do some of the things that labels are outsourcing. Everything from planning, pre-production, digital strategy, tour support, everything that a, a label may have done in the past, we, we're kind of more surgical. We can come in there and work, and we work on a, a monthly retainer, so we don't take a piece of, of what you're doing. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been an exciting run. I've, I've only been doing it now this year, so for about six months. And uh, it's it's been can, a, can, a blast. Can, can listeners find you on Twitter? Are you on Twitter that they can yep. follow you? Yep. Um, both La Label Logic is on Twitter and on um, Facebook, and we post you know a lot of the things that you and I are talking about, like with Spotify and Sony and just all of the things that are going on in the industry. We we post on our socials as well. Cool. Cool. Jay, and I appreciate awesome. it. Thanks, man. Right. Thanks for joining. We'll talk me. soon. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye. Has the Music Biz Weekly helped your career? I'd love for you to leave us a review and rating on Apple iTunes. Visit http colon forward slash forward slash iTunes dot com and leave your review. I read them all.